Hey everyone, and welcome to the Survival of the Artist podcast. I just wanted to leave a quick note before we get into the interview with Dylan Chase. He was kind enough to record his own audio, so he's going to sound super crisp, even more crisp than myself. Um, except there's something weird that happened with the audio, and I think it's because when he recorded, he had me on speakerphone as well. So any time where both of us talk or sort of cut in with each other, you're going to hear a little bit of an echo, a muffled echo. It doesn't occur often, and it's not very annoying. So if you're just wondering, that's what that sound is. Otherwise, anytime I'm speaking by myself or he's speaking by himself, it sounds great. Okay, enjoy. Hey everyone, what's going on? It is Survival of the Artist Podcast, and we are back with episode 8. Last week, or the last episode, we had Drew Bex from good old Toronto, Canada. Today we're bringing it back to the States with Dylan Chase. What is up, Dylan Chase? Man, I'm excited to be on here as a surviving artist, and man, I'm just chilling. We just, uh, my family and I just got in off the road at like one o'clock this morning. So I took one of those afternoon, like after church naps where you wake up and you don't even know like what year it is. You don't know where everyone went. So I'm feeling good, super refreshed, excited to be a part of your podcast. I think it's great what you're doing and just just following you on Twitter, man. You're always putting out free information and a lot of like good tips and hacks as artists. Yeah, man. I appreciate that. I'm I'm trying because as as somebody who's who's done music for a long time and then written about music, I've just kind of seen it a lot and experienced a lot. And I know there's a lot of stuff that I wish that I would have known when I was, you know, a younger person. Not that I'm that old now, but I'm gonna be 30. But when I was in my early 20s, that was like, wow, this would be really useful if I knew that. So I was like, let's uh, let's pay it forward, I guess, and then I could vicariously live through um, people who become more successful than I do based on my information. <laughs> it's good, but uh, yeah, that that's it. That's what I'm trying to do. But I mean, for yourself, power naps aside, uh, being on the road aside, who are you? What do you do? And what would be your claim to fame as an artist? Mm, that's an interesting question, especially the last part. I'm, I'm just trying to see if I've claimed any fame yet. But man, my name is Dylan Chase. Just nothing fancy. It's just what my mom named me. I want to say like I was on a wave of just using my actual name since like 05. So I might have been before my time on that. Um, I was raised uh, around Dallas, Texas. I grew up in a home where both my parents were just addicted to drugs and alcohol, in and out of rehab. Man, just long story short, I left my house for the third time when I was 16. I ended up being homeless by the time I was 17, summer of my junior year, 11th grade. Uh, Ended up being a dad at 17. A childhood friend, his parents took me in. My first week of my senior year of high school, like boom the the reality of the gospel and how it can affect a home i got to see it for the first time like up close and personal um and i didn't just like you know 
give my life to Jesus right then and there, but it began just to prick away at my heart that I'd been hardened towards the gospel and just kind of bitter towards God. And I used to think marriage was like a curse. Like if God was really upset with you, it was like, you have to live with this person the rest of your life, you know? And <laughs> here was a marriage that they were happy. They, they, they loved each other. They were involved in their kids' lives. So about a year after that, you know, I graduated and I, man, like just in my 98 Ford Taurus, uh, I just felt so broken over my sin and so overwhelmed by the love of Jesus that I just, you know, kind of just surrendered my life to him. I remember I called my girlfriend on a track phone. I had like one unit left and uh, I used it to call her and be like, look, like I just had this experience with God, like things are going to have to change between us. And then within a year after that, we were married. Um, music was always therapeutic for me growing up. It was really just like creating out of a survival instinct, like even going back to second grade, writing short stories and just anything to like put my mind somewhere else other than what was going on at home. And then of course, hip hop music is just has the ability to really speak towards pain and frustration and anger. And so I gravitated towards that, but by like sixth grade, by seventh grade, I was trying to write raps and um, man, from then it's like, you know, God saved me and I, I still had a heart to do music, but I had a heart for Jesus and he just put me around, um, some really cool people who were talented as well and showed me that you can do this as a believer. And, um, my claim to fame would either just, some people know me from like the earlier stuff I did with reach. Um, you know, I have a couple songs with Lecrae. I was featured on one of the earlier 116 albums. Um, but I hope that I'm just like, I really think here recently, man, I've just been known as a guy who like does the whole unique thing of uh, the claim to fame is that like I travel with my son as my DJ, um, which is yeah. really cool and unique. And that's like kind of known, like I have a lot of people who hit me up, not for any type of music advice, but just for like husband and dad stuff. And so I think it's cool that I've become like someone that by God's grace, people look to, um, to take cues from. Yeah, and we and we can get into some of that too cuz that's definitely, you know, a big part of the story of of how you survive as an artist. Just your your family dynamic and I would imagine also that being one of your biggest motivating factors as well. For um, sure. Which which you know like the single guy or single woman artist who doesn't have a family, you know, their motive and their direction is going to be completely different. But you're somebody who, you know, you have a you have people depending on you. Um, and you you have four kids, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, four. Yeah, not afraid to have more. My wife don't know about it, but I'm like, let's go for it. <laughs> yeah, I read I read one thing that said you had you had two kids, and I was like, okay, this is probably old because I, I know, know it, got. it happened quick, man. We had God surprised us. But um, and your your youngest son who is doing much better, right? Because I know he was in the yeah, hospital yeah, he's for just, a while. Other than he thinks he can get away with anything now, because we like babied him for so long. Once he was stable and back <laughs> home, he got severely babied, and now it's like, okay, look, the world doesn't revolve around you. You got to get it together. <laughs> how how old is he? Man, it's hard to believe, but he is. So he's 17 months. Hey, that's that's as old as my daughter actually. So and she and she's the only one. So she's super babied as well. 
but you know, I'm I'm learning. You you've got some you've got some experience, so maybe I I'll pay attention when when you start getting into that. <laughs> but uh, bro, the more the more kids you have, the more you learn. You lack experience. <laughs> like we thought we had it all figured out as teenage parents, and then later we had another kid and realized, oh, God just like blessed us with a really good kid, so we wouldn't be scared to have more. And now we're realizing, like, with every kid, you're more and more humbled. Like, man, I don't know what I'm doing today. <laughs> but um, for where you're at now with your family as a touring artist, how long did you say that it, it really took you to get where you are now, to get in this groove that you're in? Oh, it took uh, 10 years. Um, see, God saved me in 04. And I mean, I, music, like, I just lived and breathed it, you know. Yeah. I mean, I really wrote my first rap at 13, but I think I released my first album in high school at like 15 years old, maybe 16. And I probably released like, you know, we had our group and then we had our, you know, back then it's like, you got to have the group and then everyone does their solo mixtape. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. I released probably like five projects just in high school. So basically after I got saved, I'd never like really stopped doing music at first. It was just like, boom, like God saved me. Like, okay, let me delete all. Like there was this website, SoundClick. Back then it was kind of like the SoundCloud of that era. I like deleted all my old stuff off SoundClick, like changed my rap name to just Dylan Chase and just boom, 2004, I'm putting out music as a Christian artist. 2005, I meet, you know, Show Baraka and Tadashi and Lecrae and I'm going to church with those guys. 2006, I released my first album, like all the stuff I worked on on SoundClick and like stuff got, you know, changed and reworked and started over, finally released a project in 06. And then it wasn't really until 2014 that I was a quote unquote, you know, full-time artist. Um, so yeah, yeah I, like I, I got a full-time job like January of 2004 and worked a full-time job, you know, through 2013. So it took a little while. I think I, patience paid off, man. A lot of guys that were doing it when I was started that didn't like get a label deal or anything like that. It's just, they kind of gave up. And I'm like, man, I'm just going to outlast these guys. I'm just not going to give up. I'm just going to keep like waiting and keep just like chipping away at it. So perseverance really paid off in my case. And and what was that that day job to your superhero rapper night job? Yeah, so it really, it mainly was in banking for seven years. I mean, I did different things like the first three years, you know, but yeah, I was, you know, working at a bank and, you know, even had like worked my way up from a teller to like a junior loan officer and really like had a career path um, set for me. And funny enough, like I, in 2012, 2013, I just became content with, you know what, like, I'm going to like love God at my day job. And when, when the opportunities for music arises, I'm going to be obedient in that. Like I'm going to put music out, but it's okay. Like I'm not a failure just because God had a different Avenue for me than for other people that I know. It doesn't mean that I'm any less gifted or any less called. My calling is just different. And I became like really content with the bank, you know, working at a bank and and then, um, but, uh, my wife encouraged me to go back to school and do what I really wanted to do, which was like be an English teacher, like a high school English teacher. And as I left and transitioned out of banking to go back to school, that's when the music started to pick up. And a, a lot of that was, I think 
in 2013, bringing my son to be my DJ, which was just really like strange how that happened. I had a friend who was like, I knew that was kind of like the next level. I really needed to DJ. If you've ever been to a, a, a concert where the rapper doesn't have a DJ, especially at a church concert where you have like some church volunteer running the sound, it's super <laughs> awkward. And it's like, no, wait, like, don't play the song yet. Let, wait, like, stop it. Wait, you know, go back. Not that one. And you can't yep, ever get yep. in the flow and really put together a killer set. So I started working with this DJ from Houston and he couldn't make a, he couldn't make a show. And I said, Julian, you want to like try to DJ this show? I mean, you have a sense of rhythm and you, you know how to play Halo. So surely you could figure out how to run a DJ, <laughs> like a DJ program. And once I brought him on, um, man, it just resonated with leaders. Um, it resonated with, with dads. It resonated with kids who really didn't have a dad. Cause like they heard my story of how like I have a broken relationship with my father, but now I'm able to have a really good relationship as a father with my son and kind of get to mm-hmm. live through that. And so that just, uh, it brought up the excellency of our performance. And it also like increased the power behind just the testimony and the ministry aspect. And I literally like fell into doing music full time. Like I probably had been doing music full time for two months and didn't even realize like that music was really providing the way it was. I can never forget like looking at the bank statement and like adding up things and like calling my wife, like, Hey, like this is how much money I've made doing music these past two months. Like, I think we could keep doing this. Like, let's see. It's like, how long why why didn't we do this before? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'll get into that as I talk about some of my failures and things like that. <laughs> but um, how, how old was your son at the time? He was, uh, you know, a month shy of being 10. So, I mean, he technically the first show he DJ, he was nine years old. We, we got the demo version of like virtual DJ and he used my laptop coming out of the ox. He didn't even have a controller. He was in this little town in Oklahoma. And I assumed I was like, dude, like there's going to probably be like 30 or 40 kids there. Don't worry about it. Well, here's the thing. Like, and here's a little artist hack. If you go to small towns, you have no competition. There's literally nothing going on. Right. Right. 300 people show up to this concert. And there's my nine-year-old son. And I, he was like, I thought you said 30, dad. And I'm like, but the fact that it just within hip-hop culture, you know, the MC is up front. And there was comfort that he had in that, like, his dad was up front. He was behind his dad. He kind of felt like the pressure's on dad. I don't really have it. Plus, at that age, he really didn't realize. And, man, we just, uh, all he really was was just a press play DJ. And then... I gave him like a few samples and we kind of did some interaction. Like we took some stuff that was now this is a while ago. So like uh, there was this viral thing on YouTube and it was like this lady getting interviewed and she was like, I ain't grabbed no shoes or nothing. Jesus, I ran from my life. Like uh, ain't nobody got time oh, the, for that. The ain't, the ain't nobody got time for ain't that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah. And like there's this came this point in the concert. Um, I mean, it was like super, you know, cheesy. It's a youth group concert. And I was like, you know, when like the world tries to tempt you, like your flesh tries to lead you astray to like not follow Jesus. You just got to look at it and say, and then boom, like Julian clicked the sample. Like, ain't nobody got time for that. And everyone just bust out laughing because there was this little kid on stage who had been quiet like the whole show. You don't hear anything from him. And then suddenly he does, he does that. So his kind of like, he doesn't have a DJ personality. He doesn't, 
He, but what works is he's very much himself and he just lets, like, he speaks through the turntables. He doesn't say much. Like, he doesn't even have a mic, which a lot of that came out of necessity because he was going through puberty and it would have been a nightmare for him to try to, like, have a mic and, like, do my background vocals with his voice squeaking. But he's soft spoken, um, but he has a genuine presence about him that that students gravitate to. It's crazy because I can remember my first concerts as a Christian artist see 2005 i was 19 turning 20 years old and so i'm literally like five years older than most kids in a youth group you know they're like 15 years old i'm 20 you know now i'm about to be 33 and my son's 15 as to where i have to try to be relevant to them he already is you know what i mean he's their age so it it's just really neat how that increases the effectiveness of what we do. And then also like it helps um the 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 fans see me not as some like superhuman artist. From the jump, they see me as a dad first um before they see me as an artist. And that helps, you know, because sometimes we forget like artists are people and for them it's it's kind of right there in their face, like, oh, he's a dad, like that's his son. Like, okay. I think it's it's funny. Like you could you could hook him up with with an in-ear monitor just between you two and he can give you live feedback into oh dad maybe that's not so cool why don't you try you, you try doing this or try oh, wow, saying yeah. this and on the fly you could make yourself cooler to kids if it if you don't feel that it's that it's coming across well <laughs> yeah i could the problem is he's also like he's at he's like 70 percent awkward homeschool kid but he's 30 percent cool dj but it's funny because like he does not really like to dress hip hop too much. So I'm like, I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. You can wear that, but please don't like wear that on stage. <laughs> Just wear one of your dad's merch shirts, please. He's he's a, he sounds like uh, a man of action. He just gets it done. You need the job done. He gets the job done. No, no flashiness. He's just consistent. Um does does he have any aspirations to like do production or anything like that? I know a lot of DJs kind of do both, like OB. Yeah, so we uh we put him in um piano lessons for about 6 months. Dude is just musically gifted. So first I let him work on GarageBand. Once he took that, like cuz you never know at that age they can be into something for like a month and I didn't want to spend too much yeah. money, but he used GarageBand for like a year. So I uh I allowed him to use some of his money from DJing, take it out of his savings account and buy Logic. And his first beat that he made um, blew anything away that I did for my first beat just because he has a sense of musical timing. And the sky's the limit for him. He doesn't see music as a career. He really wants to go into law enforcement. Um, But he knows that he has a passion to create and make music. So he knows it's always going to be a part of what he's doing. He's, It's really cool, man. He's like, starting a band with his friend they're huge 21 pilots like fanboys and i'm always like hey like i know a guy in the family who has a career in music if you ever need any like pointers <laughs> <laughs> um so i guess this kind of ties into it but you support your entire family as this full-time artist so what are some of the challenges of this and i would imagine like how do you deal with inconsistency because you know, maybe one year you do like 200 shows, but the next year you get like 150 or, you know, yeah. kind of things like that. Even like hit those numbers, but we'll, we'll touch on that. So the hardest part, if one is like, I'll, I'll just speak to it this way. If you desire, I think 
I think everyone, like being honest, probably desires to do music full time. But when it becomes a problem is when you desire it to the point where you're like, I won't be happy. I won't be fulfilled unless I'm a full time artist. Like while that can come off as like, oh, he's passionate, like he's all out. It can also turn into like coveting and (laughs) idolatry. So if you desire to do music full time, there's things that your your full time job can help you do that. So one thing in preparation was getting rid of debt. That's something that I did for 10 years. Um, Saving money, because as we transitioned, it was there was like rough times like. You know, I could remember like, you know, having a vehicle paid off and having to like get another loan out on it, right? Refinance it just so I could have money um, to pay our mortgage and things like that because there was this transitional period during 2014 um, before my album Be Different dropped that it was really, uh, it was really rough, you know? But thankfully, like we, we, we had the equity to do that. And so, um, trying to, you know, get rid of debt, like, you know, going into it. And the only debt we had uh, at the time was just my, uh, just our house, you know? And so during um, the ups and downs, you, you had to learn, like I had to learn quick and, and really my background in working at a bank and looking over people's business plans and looking over their cash flow, like it actually helped me become a full-time artist because I, from the jump, I set like a set amount of money I would pay myself each, every two weeks. So like I have two separate accounts. One account is my personal account. I pay all my bills out. The other account is where like my iTunes money goes to money from shows, money from merch sales. And then I Mm -hmm. write myself a paycheck like every two weeks. And even if there was a month where I could have paid myself double and like went out and like bought some new shoes or like, you know, lived it up. I still paid myself the same amount because I knew like there's going to be a month where I may not get anything and I need to have enough money, like, like a nest egg, you know, like built up to where I can continue to pay myself. And it's been a, it's been a blessing. Um, and so now it's like, (laughs) I started off a full-time artist with two kids, you know? And I, every time I had a kid, Mm -hmm. I was like, uh, me and my wife would have the conversation, like, do I need to put out some applications? Like, we know it's expensive. And every time we said, we're not going to do anything yet, let's just see what God does. And I always joke with artists when they hit me up, like, bro, like, how did you do it? I'm like, just have a lot of kids, you know, God will provide. Don't really take that serious, <laughs> though. But yeah, it's been crazy. Every, uh, I was joking with my friends from church today. It's like, yeah, man, every time I have a kid, like my monthly listeners on Spotify magically go up by 5,000. God just provides. So um, don't depend on one thing is in this like climate, you can't depend. I mean, especially if you're trying to support a family, I think if you're single and like, especially the artists who maybe are young enough to still live at home, man, like save your money you're making from music right now. Um, But for the most part, you cannot depend on streaming and music sales to be enough. Um, You got to find a way to create something that people are like, I want, to book him for a concert like you got to find a niche you got to develop it's you know justin we come from the era not to like start sounding like old heads you know that are grumpy but we come from like an era where if you wanted to be heard you had to go somewhere like and perform and it's almost like 
We probably, I know for me, I performed before I recorded in the studio because not everyone just had access to where now, like you can get pretty good quality for under a thousand dollars, you know, get a laptop, get a mic, use the software that probably comes with your computer. And you can, I was like, you know, back then you had to find a studio, you had to save money. So I was like, man, if you wanted to be heard, find an open mic. Like I used to do, um, they're like the MC battles in North Dallas, you know, when I was a teenager and, and so in order to make it as an artist, it's going to come down to like trying to consistently stay booked. Um, the music, like the, the stuff through streaming and Spotify, that's good, like supplemental income. But as, as we all know, that's going to spike up when you release a new album. It's going to fluctuate back down. And, but if you can just find a way to stay consistent on the road, it's going to help. Yeah, I think, I think that's a, a valid point that you brought up, especially when you, when you said you had months where you could pay yourself double, but you chose not to. Mm-hmm. I think too many people will see, let's say that one month where everything doubles as, well, it's only going to get better from here, mm-hmm. which is most likely not the case. So if, if you manage your expectations and keep everything consistent, then things will kind of seem better because you'll always have you know, something to fall back on rather than you blew everything you made in one month and now you're back. You know, now you're back to the beginning. Um, oh, man, shout out to my and, wife because my wife is a much conservator, conservative spender than I am. So I got to I got to give her a shout out, man, because there, there was even times back like in 07. I got like like I got a royalty check from Reach Records for 13 letters and I was pretty booked that month. And I was like, this is in 2007. I was like, babe, like I made more money doing music than I did at my job. I think it's time. And she was like, I don't. She's like, this is one month. Like, what are the next? She's like, yeah. And she wasn't disrespectful or like killing my dreams. She was like, let's just see, like, let's pray and let's see what these next six months look like. And of course, I pretty much didn't make hardly anything the next six months, but I was ready just to leave my job and go for it. So she taught me to be patient. Yeah, that that's like my wife, too. She works in accounting. So everything we have is super budgeted like we have an envelope of money for groceries an envelope of money for gas dude dave ramsey for, would be you know, proud yeah yeah d- different stuff we we even have we even have like an allowance um envelope <laughs> like we put a little money on the yeah, side from like, all the checks all right here's you know a hundred bucks for whatever you want and i'm like oh boy i have an allowance man, but but that's so good worked. though and that's thing that like having a family yeah forces you to learn and like people don't realize how much that goes into being a successful artist. If you want to really do this, like that's a part of it. It is, it is. And it, it is crazy, especially, I, you know, I, I remember cause you saying now how like we come from the era where you had to go play somewhere, uh, before you can record. Um, I'm in a band. So we, we basically, we played shows for over a year before we even got into the studio once and once you get into that studio for the first time it's it's the most mind-blowing experience and then you leave with no money yeah and then you're just like well that was amazing but now we have no money so i remember in in 2008 when i got a mac computer that came with GarageBand, it was like the greatest thing that ever happened in my life i was i was putting out a song a day i was making all these beats with loops and everything like that and it was like yeah I, i'll have a mixtape by the end of the week yeah man um, when you're trying you know, to record the, a band that's the, the that's quality so sucked yeah <laughs> but um because i didn't even use a microphone i just wrapped 
into the computer. Um, so it was real gritty. But um, but yeah, and but then as time goes, people have even more access to better stuff. And 10 years later, you could probably record something better on your phone than you could have even recorded 10 oh, years ago. Oh, for sure, dude. Like in know, 2002. With GarageBand and a microphone. Yeah, in 2002, like me and my friends probably dropped 300 to 400 dollars at radio shack it's kind of embarrassing to say that like we got a mixer we didn't know why we just said we need a mixer we got a microphone we got a mic stand we got a windscreen we bought bed foam from like walmart and foam I, is so expensive that's the most expensive part of the whole thing i know someone's making a killing with that but like i really like i can record on my phone like through GarageBand, and i, I promise you it sounds better than our $300 we spent at Radio Shack. It's crazy. Yeah. And then, of course, back then, you really didn't know what you were doing either. So you also have, you also have some of that. But um, so maybe, I guess, I guess you touched on this a little bit, but can you maybe talk about some of the expectations versus realities of being an independent yeah, artist? Um, so... My story is unique and I don't want to like uh, derail the whole conversation. So I, I like I say this with caution because normally when I bring up like just the brief history with Lecrae and those guys, then the rest of the interview is about Lecrae and I don't want that to happen. But you're a really good journalist. I, I already, okay, I already know enough about Lecrae. I don't so, know enough about you. So let's so we, will, we will stick to I you. I promise. I haven't saved a year yet. I'm doing music. The one rapper I think I'd heard about was KJ52. I'd saw him like on TV, like scrolling through the channels. That's the homie. I'd seen a flyer for a cross movement show that came to like a really popular youth group in our area. But I, you know, everyone back then, and even sometimes now, like this is back in 04, you're like, I'm the only one, you know? Well, in 2005, like these uh, guys that I used to record with when I was just, you know, doing the battle like battle rap scene and just you know these guys were like a gangster rap you know type of record label and they had their own studio and i'm like hey man like i'm trying to record in the studio like how are things going do y'all have any good artists and they're like that y'all have recorded they're like man most everyone that comes in our studio is trash it is brutal but it's paying the bills they're like but there is this one artist who's really dope but he's a christian rapper named lecrae Boom, within a week after that, no, 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 within like a month after that, I perform at this little like college high school gathering. And it was one of those deals like no one really was supposed to be performing, but my friend pretty much forced his way to get me on stage. And and that friend is now known as Biz. He's an engineer at Reach Records. And I rapped and uh, I rapped for like 10 minutes, you know, everyone's kind of doing their own thing. I'm just on stage rapping and their video guys like dude like you need to check out this rapper we had a, a couple months ago and he pr- he plays me footage of lecrae rapping like represent get crunk 300 students going like wild so boom there's my expectations oh if you're a rapper like yeah. 300 people come to your shows and they're i'm like yo like what like did y'all they're like yeah we paid on 300 bucks i'm like what I start doing the math, like you can get paid $300 for a show. Like, <laughs> so if I need to make $2,000 a month, like, man, I can do less than 10 shows a month and I could easily like make a living. And you just think it's that easy. I think Lecrae might charge more than 300 a show now. I might be wrong, but I have a good feeling he does. <laughs> and so my expectations <laughs> were like, now, like I reach out to Lecrae through email. Providentially, I end up moving to Denton 
where my wife was going to be going to school. I'm in the studio, like recording some iconic Christian like rap songs, like Send Me, I'll Go. Like I'm recording Lecrae uh, for his album after the music stops. So my expectations were being introduced to Lecrae and, and Reach Records and going to church with those guys, moving to Denton, like being in the studio while Lecrae recorded um, his album after the music stops. My expectations were like, that's what works. That's what I need to be. So I jokingly say like for the first, I'm talking like the first six to seven yeah. years of my like career, if you want to call it that, and doing Christian hip hop, I was like the Walmart version of Reach Records. Like I was just, I was regurgitating and replicating their formula and right. they were already doing it at like a really high level. So I had to come to understand that just because it was working for them, it didn't mean like it was going to work for me. You know, my expectation was that reach records would like give me a record deal and it would just be easy. Um, the reality was even if I was the like second best version of a Lecrae or Triple E, it couldn't compare with being like the best version of myself. And I learned that after many like years of just never see seeing things take off, that there was something I needed to find that was being overlooked. Like there was a need or a discussion that needed to happen through music that people weren't talking about. And so that's when I really started like considering my story, considering the importance of family, like, boom, I bring my son to be my DJ. And it's like, okay, there's something unique about Dylan. Like he's doing something that's different and um, it worked, but man, the realities of an independent artist is like, I, you know, wanted to go on tour. Like I got a taste of tour when I went on one of the first unashamed tour dates, like in Seattle. And it's like, boom, my expectation, I want to do a tour. Well, like I never got asked to be on a tour. So the reality was like, I invested in my own sound equipment, like loaded up my truck. And like, I learned the reality is tours can look very different. Like they could look super flashy with a team of people and lights, or it could look like at a really small venue and you're already sweaty before the concert starts because you've set up speakers and lights and you've just, you know, driven with your family for seven hours and there's 30 people there. But man, when I tell you, like, you cannot underestimate the power of that and not only in what you learn, but just in building a base because out of those 30 people, maybe 20 of them take pictures at the event or video and then they have between them, you know, hundreds to thousands of people who follow them. And it's like, yeah, there's only 30 people at your show, but it was just exposed to maybe 3000. And so we started like doing our own little bootleg tours. And, and a lot of that, man, I really modeled off of the early, like Christian rock, like what I used to see Christian rock bands do, which is they just stay touring. Like they weren't always a lot of people at their shows, but they, I'm like, they didn't wait for a green light. They just went out and did it and they were doing secular venues and everything else. And so I'm like, man, like, um, not that there wasn't anyone doing that in Christian hip hop, but a, a lot of us were just waiting to get picked up on like a reach tour or like a winter jam or, you know what I mean? And I'm like, man, that's just, you know, and slowly we did it four years in a row. And every year we saw a little bit more and more people attending and we worked from a, I always knew if I needed to, to make it in music, I had to come up with a strong, like homegrown local support. It's like, you don't want to be known by a little, like a small group of people in a lot of different places. 
And that's where I was. Like I was known by a little bit of people scattered all over the place. So I started really focusing on Oklahoma and Texas. And man, like I have to, even to this day, man, like 70% of what I do is Oklahoma, Texas. Now it's kind of unfair because Texas is like the size of a country, but you know, so I develop a really strong home, like local base. And I think just now in the past year or two, I'm starting to get a little bit more of like a regional area, but I'm still not even a national like artist. And yet I'm still able to, to support my family. What's, what's the, the furthest you've gone from home? Oh, actually, um, and we're going back in October, but in April, 2017, I got booked in Ghana. So I got to do something international. Wow. Um, but other, uh, like with our tour, I think like Michigan, um, and another thing with artists, like anytime you get booked, always ask the people, um, how they found out about you or like, so how did like, how did y'all find out about me? That's something I always ask people. And it's hilarious because normally I find out that I was like the third option and the first two people didn't work out (laughs) or I was the most affordable. One of them was like, yeah, once I saw that your wife handled your booking, I knew you were probably going to be affordable for our budget. You know, since you didn't have like a real (laughs) booking agent, it was just your wife. So yeah, man. Um, for the most part, like even man, bro, even when I look at the further places we've gone to even look at Ghana, I asked them, how did you guys book me? Like, how did y'all find out? Well, they saw something that I did with a local church in Oklahoma called Life Church. And I'd done something with them for a sermon series and they really pushed it. And so you start looking like even traveling across the Atlantic Ocean, it really, the opportunity came from doing something an hour away from my house. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Most of the stuff I do, like, even like I got to go, I'm going back to upstate New York and Syracuse. And it's from a guy who used to be a worship pastor in Oklahoma. And it's like, I've done it long enough and I've built enough relationships that people don't stay in Oklahoma forever. And so they remember me. And it's like, if you're not a jerk to people, if you're really relational, not only like be the best you can be as an artist, but make conversation like ask whoever booked you ask how they're doing ask how things are going with the venue or the church or whatever they do like just be concerned with them and do it like genuinely don't like be fake about it because people can read through that and then now like when i've had friends like go from oklahoma to california to new york to tennessee they're like hey we want to like introduce you to the people here like we think you would do good so it's been it's been really neat but it's all stemmed from like a really strong local base and there was not a lot of christian hip-hop culture um here um i think most of the artists from oklahoma that were known they weren't really known in oklahoma they were just kind of known nationally in the chh community you know guys like dre murray fidel um sean johnson um but you know so there's no excuse even if you live in a place where you feel like there's not a strong culture of like christian hip-hop man, that's the perfect opportunity for you to like start to build that through like little bootleg tours with 30 people showing up. You got to start somewhere. Now, now let me ask you this and, and you don't have to give me any numbers, but are you someone who does shows based on, you know, if you can get a guarantee or not, or are you, you know, going by sometimes ticket sales or is it a combination of both? You know, for me, to, uh, I don't have a name that could really 
draw ticket sales. Mm -hmm. That's something that hopefully one day I can do because I think it is easier to book when you can say, Hey, like, here's the venue. We can split this at the door. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you could do it in a way where it doesn't cost. It can actually make those people money and make you money. It's like the best of both worlds. But the few events I've been at where they've sold ticket sales, like, or they've tried to sell tickets. It's just been so poorly attended. Like, I think I got like, you know, and this was in OKC in a place where like, I've been at all the biggest churches in OKC. Like I've done stuff in this area. So I tried to, I booked with like a, a venue and we did, we split the door. And I think I like, by the time I paid the opener, I walked out with like 60 bucks and I'm like, okay, I'm probably like, that was good for me. I learned, like, I thought I was ready to move into that step, but I'm, I'm not yet. So for now, um, for the most part, like we have our set, like what we ask for, but, um, a lot of people who booked us and I, I explained this recently to my son, Julian, just to show him like how awesome God is that, you know, churches and, and we mainly do like all, you know, church stuff. And I'm okay with that. Like, I don't, I don't feel like any right. less of an artist, like being a predominantly like, you know, guy who raps uh, either like at, you know, churches for Sunday services or youth groups that they value what we do so much. And they think like God is uniquely using our story and our message to impact people in their church in a way that no one else can, that they will spend money to bring us out. And so, uh, we, you know, we, we don't tour in the sense of like, like we're planning a die daily tour in the fall. But other than that, um, I haven't like done my own tour since 2016 where like I strategically like went from Kansas and worked my way down into Texas yeah. and we were doing shows like every few days. Normally I'm like, I'm booked on Wednesdays and I'm booked on weekends. You know what I mean? And I'm just partnering with an event that's already going on with or without me. And they're just bringing me in to partner with them on that event. Um, we're still like, I even go on base, like on need. Like if I see like, you know what? Like there was like an FCA ministry, like, man, we want you to come rap like at this high school, but we have, we can't pay you. But it's like on a Thursday at like 1030 in the morning, I'm like, you know what? Like I'm not doing anything that day. God has provided for me this month. I'll do it for free. I did free. I did like three free events with FCA about a year later, like their big statewide college event comes where like, you know, 600 college students gather together. And that's something where they had a budget and lo and behold, like they reached out to me to come and rap. And so you can never outgive God. And even when you do now, don't be like foolish and like yeah. put your family like at a complete risk, but me like just doing those three little events for free turned into like two years in a row, getting to do one of their big conferences. And then from that you got other bookings and it's, it's amazing probably how much came to us from doing like one free show. You know what I mean? So, um, we yeah. try to have a set price, but we don't, we don't like demand it. We're like, okay, we'll, we'll try to work with you. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I think that's, that's a struggle of a lot of artists who want to get out there and they're just like, how do I ask for money? You know, how do I, yeah. how do I get someone that, you know, they probably don't even know. How do I get them to give me money to go to them and perform with the guarantee, like with no guarantee that I'll even, you know, bring people to this venue. Um, and it is pretty scary because, you know, you're, that's, it's kind of, it's risky for, for everybody, especially if you're going to like fly somewhere 
or go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think an important thing too is also what you just said. Like sometimes you have to take a gamble on free events because they really are, you know, low risk, high reward type of situations. For real. If yeah. if you if you have the capability of of doing it. Yeah, for real. Yeah, I mean, it's like I was talking to my friend about this because we have both been performing at a church and this church has always paid me and the church had never paid him and churches will take advantage of you and it's almost it's normally the bigger churches who will because they're like any way they can save money they will um and i think for him it was like well i did the first thing free so they just kind of always thought well he's a free you know rapper so right you know, you still, there will come to a point sometimes where we have to have a conversation like, look, like, I loved helping you guys out, but if you guys want me to come back, like, this is what I need, you know? And you can know, you can discern when someone's taking advantage of of it, you know? If they're, you know, trying to, like, just milk you and, like, never pay you, like, that's not right. Like, that's that's not, you know, you're you're worth getting something, but you can't be so arrogant where you feel like you're above Right. doing something for free especially if you're not booked and you're trying to get started you're gonna have to like the first time i got paid for a show the dude gave me like dap me up and slipped me like 50 bucks in my hand me and my friends go to the car it was me biz and our friend trey and i'm like bro they just handed us 50 bucks like what are we gonna do i'm like bro, we're going to IHOP. You know, this is like <laughs> 2005 and we went to IHOP and like, we didn't hold back. We all ordered orange juices. Like we, we went in, you know, but it was 50 bucks. That was it. And, uh, it was just, it was a lot of like, not knowing if I was going to get anything, but when people value what, what you do, because you're doing something that no one else is doing, then now you have value. You have something unique. Like, they can't just find some random person after church who could probably get up and rap. You know what I mean? They're like, okay, there's something unique about this. We value it. So try to like, you know, add value to what you're doing. Like not to sound cheesy, but like innovate, don't imitate, um, find a need, like tell your story. Don't like write music in a way that no one could rap it, but you, because it's so personal and, and, and then just be a likable person. If, if you're not just at least fake it to be as likable as possible. And uh, your reputation goes a long way, man. There's a lot of guys who get booked once because um, they just weren't likable. They weren't kind. And I get it. We're human. Sometimes we have off days. But right, right. when it's your, your job, sometimes you just got to like grit your teeth, put on a smile, ask questions, be nice. Because um, a lot of what we do over the past two years, man, has been a lot of repeat bookings. And I'm not content with that. I'm thankful for it. But I know like, man, I want to reach. I want to earn new fans. I want to like, t- like go into new areas. But I'm thankful because I have the freedom to try to explore and do those things because I have a yeah. base of like ministries and churches and, and stuff that, that want to book me because they, they're friends now. You know what I mean? Like they've become legitimate friends of mine and like they, we look out for each other. Awesome. Yeah. And, and I know every... Every artist probably has some crazy um, show or promoter type of story. Um, the the fifty bucks from IHOP is a good story. I I remember, um, I I did a show 
I did a mini tour with my band and our friends came along from another band and they, they drove four hours to get to a venue. We only had to drive about two hours to get there. And we do this event that was very poorly organized and booked. And at the end of the night, the promoter hands us $25 to split between two bands. Um, and we're just looking at each other like, are you kidding me? Like 20, that's... All right, I got to tell, I got to share another story. There's eight own. people. So, and it actually turned out that the owner of the venue, we played a show in a record shop and it was, it was pretty cool. Um, but the owner of the record shop felt so bad and embarrassed that the promoter in her venue uh, only gave us $25 that she actually then handed us a $100 bill to split between the two bands, which obviously is much better than $25. So now it's 125 to much. split between two bands. But I was like, at least that, that covered gas. Um, so yeah, every, I know everyone's got those stories where it's just like, oh man, like seriously, like this is okay. Bro, I've had a, yeah, give me one. I brought Sean Johnson on tour with me. We drove and another artist named Jordan Miller. But Sean Johnson, you know, dude's booked in UK like at mm-hmm. least once or twice a year. Like, He's killing it, and he's my friend. And he came on tour with me. We drive seven hours to San Antonio. Bro, we get to the little venue, and there is a yellow slip on the door of an eviction notice. Oh, man. Then the guy shows up like 30 minutes late to let us in and, and hesitates and like turns on the lights. And when, and when the lights turn on, he's like, oh, thank you, God. I've been, I've been praying because they were supposed to turn off our electricity today because we haven't paid the light bill. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, you've known this has been booked for six months, like, and you're about to get evicted. Like you didn't even know if there was going to be electricity. And then like maybe 18 people. And I literally mean 18 because I counted, uh, 18 people showed up. It was one of those awkward things where you wait and wait to see if just anyone else is going to come. You start like, nobody comes. No, you just start tweeting like, come on, you got to get here. You're like, dude, there's not even an interesting angle where I can make this show look packed. And, uh, and then we, yeah, he, he's like, man, we just love you guys. We, we couldn't do much. But we wanted to bless you. And then he handed 20 bucks. Um, and on that same tour, uh, we got a hot check for $800. And uh, that's the first time it ever happened. It was a rough event. There was literally like 19 openers. Dang. Yep. We go on. That's a hip hop. We go thing. on at like 10. Yeah. We go on at like 1030. Most of the people have left. Even sketch the journalist came out to the event and he's like, I'm sorry, man, but I got to get home. Like, well, With 19, with 19 artists, 1030 is actually not bad. I've seen events with like 19, 20 rappers and then the headliner goes on at 3am and there's nobody there. Wow. Yeah. Thankfully it wasn't that bad. And we get done, we load up in the truck, and I looked at Sean. I'm like, guys, I know tonight was rough, but at least we got paid. And then Sean had to say, like, well, if the check clears. And I'm like, <laughs> chill. I was like, dude, I've been doing this for 10 years. Not once in my life have I had a check bounce. So I paid my artist what they agreed to take. I deposit the check. Two days later, I look at my statement. I'm like, what in the world has happened? Like, boom, the, the, the check bounced. $800 is out of my account. And uh, they never, that, the guy who, who brought us out never made it right. It was pretty, pretty bad. Yep. And unfortunately, there are so many stories like that. And it's crazy. That's when I learned that, like, contracts matter. You know, you can't just do things off handshakes and conversations. That, um, that 
that show that I was talking about for myself, it was another band's album release show, and the promoter put them on first, which doesn't make any sense. No, so have, not at all. You have two out-of-town bands coming to play, but you put the hometown album release show band first. So they play to a full house, and then they just leave. They just bounced their own album release show, and they leave two bands there that don't know anybody, and nobody knows them. And there was only four people for the rest of the you know the two hours that we were there to perform in front of. And then we get handed. Hey, good, and then we get people, handed twenty five dollars. <laughs> people need to hear these things because that that is the reality. Like what you see with some of the biggest artists is the exception. Like it's right. not the the normal. And now I think it's beautiful because now more than ever, it is. A, there's a legit like industry and and strong community. Um, and I can remember for years when you do a show. You pretty much would hear a name like Lecrae, um, maybe a Tripoli and maybe a couple others, but that was it. That was people's world. Right. And now when I go places, like, do you know, you know, Paris Cariz? Have you heard of Jerry Manna? You know, no big deal. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Ty Brazel and just all these people like are, are, have these like really cool grassroots followings and stuff. And it's a, it's a good time to be doing, you know, what we're doing. Right. And, and I, th- I feel like a lot of that you can owe to streaming and Spotify, like for all the, for all the things negative, let's say comes with streaming and Spotify, you know, people really aren't getting paid too much, but if it wasn't for that, your music wouldn't be available to the, you know, thousands and hundreds of thousands of people because now anyone can have it at any time. Um, so, you know, it's a gift and a curse in a way. Oh yeah, and especially when you you start looking at the playlist, and you know, right, right. I was at this little small church in um, West Texas. I mean, not not super small, but you know, um, and they and they're playing music after the show, and I hear um, Purple Dinosaur, right? I think that's what they called that song by No Big Deal, maybe. Um, yeah. And I remember I text them. I'm like, bro, I'm out here like in West Texas, and they're they're playing your music, and man, they, you know, they were introduced to it through a Spotify playlist. Who knows? It could have been the Rapzilla playlist. I don't even know which one they were, they were, they were playing, but I'm learning that, you know? So I'm, I'm talking with guys like Doc Watson and mm-hmm. other people to try to learn because I feel like I'm not doing the greatest in those areas of like streaming and, and the Spotify world just because right. it's, it kind of just popped up so quick and I'm, I'm trying to react to it. I wasn't expecting it. So but I'm thankful that on the other hand, like I have that old school method of just doing shows and selling merch. Like <laughs> I learned a lot of merch game stuff from like guys like KJ five, two. So man, you know, young artists That's look the at guy. the dudes who have longevity and figure out what they're doing because they got the cheat code and it's not, it's not a cheat code. It's just hard work. But you know, I try to look at the guys who've had longevity and say, what are they doing? You know, because, you know, you could have a hit, you could run up the numbers. KJ's been doing it for about 25 years and still going strong. And people always like, oh, KJ's back. And he's like, I never left, man. I've been, do- I've been doing it the whole time. Just because you don't see me doesn't mean I'm not out there, you know, touring 200 days a year or whatever he's doing. And he's got a strong following, too. And what's cool with him is he has, 
you know, generational followings. People having kids and now have kids listen to it, which is cool. And he's okay with, you have to be okay with that too. You can't just be like, oh, you know, I want this certain demographic. Yeah, just trust God. Like the audience God gave you, try to serve it, you know? When I made my album Be Different, which it was probably, not that it's a big album, but it's definitely my biggest album and most successful. I went to it no longer trying to like, take someone else like like earn like not that you shouldn't want new fans but i no longer like i said when i make this album i'm not trying to get my peers attention and get them to tweet about my album and i'm not going to try to just get all these new fans i'm just going to look at what my current fan base likes and just try to create something out of gratitude towards who's been supporting the music and it's amazing how it was received you know because um just like you said, I was, I finally became content with the audience God gave me. And it's like, sometimes we can be so bitter and chasing the next thing that we lose our fan base. Cause they're like, man, he's not even like here. I've been, you know, supporting him, and, and there may not be a lot of us, but we've been supporting him for five years. And it's like, he keeps changing his sound to try to earn this other generation of fans or do this or do that. And it's like, they'll, they'll move on. So you got to create a, and there's levels of fans, you know, there's, people who will follow you there's people who will follow you and actually like your pictures there's people who actually follow like and comment and then there's people who will not skip your song when it comes on a spotify playlist and then there's people who actually go and follow you as an artist and you saw i mean there's there's levels of of fans and supporters and like you have to find that and i think that's what reach and social club and there's many more those just off the top of my head they're really good at like creating a strong base of like diehard supporters yeah yeah and uh once you know once you find those supporters for the most part you you keep them and they stick around those diehards um but switching let's switch it up a little bit what now let's talk about some of your successes so what do you feel has been your biggest rock star moment or you know, moment where you're standing there and you're just like, wow, I did it. I made it. And maybe it didn't happen yet, but, you know, that you feel super content with, but thus far. Yeah, so one of them will be like a a concert experience and then one of them will be just like a digital internet experience. So when Do It Anyway passed a million streams, um, I was happy about that. I mean, it took a while but it's still just a huge feat, you know, mm-hmm. coming from the kid in high school with like a, a CD Walkman and a pair of headphones, just literally begging people to listen to my music. And the only thing they would say was the beat was good, which was pretty much code for your rapping was horrible, but I like the beat <laughs> to saying like, man, this song I made in my studio that like I wrote in the car while my wife was doing a maternity like photo shoot for her friend now has been played a million times. Um, and then like, yeah. and it's little man, like you just have to define what success is for you. Like mm-hmm. for me, you know, yeah. Like I've had opportunity, like opportunities to be in front of, you know, 3000 people at once, but let's face it. Those 3000 people w- would have been there if I was there or not. You know, I was just one piece of a big puzzle of an event that was going on. So it wasn't even like performing in front of thousands that made me feel like, uh, you know, a rock star, you know, moment. It was, it was more of like when we started seeing 
people come to shows and it may just be like two or three, but they already had like some merch, like either a Dylan Chase shirt or a Die Daily shirt. That was just really cool to me because I'd like, I always wanted that to happen and I just never like knew it would. And uh, I kind of like thought, well, that ship kind of has sailed, but then it's like, man, you just, you chip away at it long enough and you can really start seeing that. So as, as silly as it sounds, man, really just like starting to do shows and people like already rocking merch before, like before the, the, the show even starts, like it was just a cool moment for me. Yeah, that's definitely amazing when you see people who not only are they there to see you, but they spent money on you to, you know, rock your stuff. That's amazing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, now, what about on the flip side? Um, what do you feel thus far has, you know, is your biggest failure or regret as an artist? Um, it's multifaceted. <clears throat> Part of it is on what we touched on earlier. Mm-hmm. Just for the years that I wasted because I was um, waiting for a record deal, like I legit wouldn't put out music and I held off because I thought I don't want to like do too much because then you look like an artist past their prime and I did, I'm waiting for this record deal to happen. So I would release music like maybe every two years and I would promote my album for a month and then pretty much be quiet for the next 11 or even longer. And so I just, I wasn't going all, I wasn't going all out for, for the dream because I was waiting it, for it to be handed to me. And man, I wasted like the prime years, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I didn't, I was almost 30 by the time I became a full artist, which isn't old, but in hip hop years, you kind of feel like that's older. It's a young man's game. And um, right, right. within that was just like, and I still think there's no such thing as a new style. Everyone's influenced by someone and that's okay. but there was a lot of times where I was just trying to use a formula that wasn't mine and wasn't, and and it was just like, it wasn't coming from the heart. It was just kind of like, well, like they're talking about this. So I'm going to talk about it. And I can look at projects and see little shining moments where maybe on one song I was being myself. And like, those are normally the one song on that 10 year old project that I can still stomach to listen to. And then, um, you know, other like, uh, failures on a business aspect is like maybe like money on advertising that is just like i I once i like did a spotify ad and it performed like horrifically and uh, i just had to like go for like okay this is an opportunity spotify ads like Mm -hmm. this is something i haven't explored and i looked at the uh after like a couple days of it running i saw it was performing horribly and I thought I had like canceled the ad, um, but I didn't hit like save. So after I backed out of it, it actually didn't cancel and, and spent the full budget. Oh, man. And uh, that was a failure. You know, there's been times I've uh, a video has meant a lot to me, a music video. And like it hasn't performed well on Facebook, but I'm like, maybe if I just put a little more money behind it, it'll catch on. And it's like, you know what? Like you just wasted 500 bucks, you know, like. <laughs> You like the video, but other people don't like, so, you know, just learning to be more wise with marketing money. There's, and those aren't like my biggest failures, but they're just small right. little, like, you know, it, adds, it adds up. It adds up. Yeah. When you look at a year of, of doing things like that. Um, yeah. But the main big one would be just like, 
neglecting to get out and take ownership over like my career and trying to make it and just waiting for something to be handed to me, I kind of wasted, you know, it wasn't a huge waste because I, I at least learned from it, but you know, I kind of wasted a lot of time. All right. And let's, let's dig into some of these Twitter questions. So I, I normally ask for questions and I don't get much feedback and you, Dylan, have brought a bit of feedback, which makes me happy. So maybe you can, uh, we could kind of like go through these super quick. Um, so from Honest T, fellow rapper, shout out Honest T, when can we hope to get the book that you're writing? We're hoping to release it <clears throat> by summer 2019. So the book he's referring to is it's crazy. It's a, a father-son book that me and my son Julian are writing. He's 15. And man, like more and more dads were hitting me up at, at the merch table, right? Before and after a show with really big questions that are hard to unpack in one conversation. So in January of this year, um, I, I called like my pastors and I was like, man, I have like, you know, I'm not an expert on parenting, but no one is. And so I'm realizing there's a need. Um, and so I think I could meet that need a little bit, but not really through music or through concerts, I think I need to write a book. So yeah, we, it's going to be a really cool format. Basically every chapter will, will, will break down a topic, but I'll address the fathers and Julian will address the sons. So there's always two sides to every topic. So like one chapter we're working on is like, uh, this isn't the title of the chapter, but what I'm communicating is that like honor, um, or, or like sacrificially love his mom. Like there's nothing that a teenage son loves to see more than his dad sacrificially loving his mom. Well then Julian and then uh, like on the flip side of that chapter writes honor and respect his wife. Like there's nothing that like a dad loves to see his teenage son do more than honor and respect his wife. So we're going to work on that. It's just been crazy. Summer is our most fun but most busy season because we live in texas oklahoma which is like church camp world like we'll do like 12 camps over the summer and so we've been really busy but we're planning on like breaking away maybe getting a cabin for a weekend so we could really start finishing up the book and and uh yeah so that should be coming out next year i'll I'll try not to be so long-winded but that was like a big question (laughs) no it's all good okay so from I think it's Kirsten Abernathy. Um, favorite song to perform live? Mm. You know, every artist changes. I'll say right now, my favorite song to perform live is Black Holes. It's because it's like, it's got the raw emotion of like hip hop and then it ends on a spoken word. It just clearly points to Jesus. So I love that moment. Like when I hear the crowd celebrate how Jesus like, is the cure and the, and the healing to our pain and frustration. And it's just cool to experience that with people. So black holes. Yeah. And she's actually got three more questions. Is there a song you've written that you wish you didn't release? Several. The biggest one that I literally just canceled and like took off iTunes and Spotify was a song I wrote five years ago called follow. That was just, it wasn't me. It was just me trying to make like a pop single and it annoyed me every time I came across the song and I took, I took control. I said, delete, you know, cancel distribution. So yeah, there's been more, but that's the main one. Okay. Um, what one of your songs hits home for you the most? 
songs unfortunately lose their potency after a while because they yeah, become stale. Especially, I would imagine after you perform them for so long too. So I probably will have to go. It just to, like it, I'm just gonna go off my latest album. Um, <clears throat> a song that really hits home for me again would be Black Holes. I think, uh, <clears throat> but there's some, there's actually some stuff that. I'm writing that's new that's really hitting me right now. But yeah, Black Hole, same answer to the first question. Okay, and what about the hardest thing you've had to overcome in your career? Um, I still battle it every day. It's, it's envy. It's the desire to be accepted. Man, even when you're 32 years old, man, you could still feel like the kid in the high school cafeteria that wants to sit at a certain table and feel like you're accepted by your peers. And it could really become a, a nagging voice in your head that prevents you from fulfilling all that God has for you. And so that's like a voice I've had to quiet over the years and have hard conversations with close friends. Like OB is one that I call and I'm like, and he always reminds me like, dude, you're killing it. Always remember there's probably some guy somewhere who's wanting your place. And so, yeah, man, just for every artist, we're so sensitive. It's that desire to be accepted and desire to be liked that can um, become a big obstacle. Yeah, I actually just met Obi a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, man, and, and I, I, him and Eric um, just were so thankful for you and like spoke really well of you. So thanks for oh. being awesome. <laughs> nice. I'm, I'm going to send them a text and tell them to stop lying. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Eric stayed at my house. Um, what what are the biggest changes in CHH you've seen? This person says five to ten years, but that's, that's, I guess, a pretty good scope of your career. In five to ten years, what have been the biggest changes? As, I guess, as simple and unloaded as you could right. make it. I'm just going to answer this question. I feel like being positive just extremely positive. It's become more diverse, more accepted, and more skilled. Music's gotten better. It's um, gotten more accepted by the culture, not even just church culture. And um, it's less legalistic. <laughs> when I would say it's more diverse, <laughs> you know, yeah, so we're not going to dive into all of that. So I think those are, I mean, there's negatives, but I just want to answer that positively. I'll say that. Okay, that's good. And now now it's back to me. What is next for Dylan Chase? You said you're, you're writing an album. I know last year you put out Drifting. Um, so what's, I guess, what's going to happen for the rest of 2018 going into 2019 for you? Cool, yeah, good question. So um, I asked, my fans on Twitter, and I really listened to you. And I asked if they wanted an EP or an album, and those selfish, demanding people said they wanted an album. I responded with the follow-up and question. And an EP. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys know that I released an album in August of last year? 90% of them said yes, and they still wanted another one. And I know we live in a world of singles and EPs, but I'm going to make another album. Um, not because they said that, but uh, May was a slower month for me as far as traveling. And I started looking at some unfinished songs, some stuff that OB and I had done. And then it's like, boom, I got like five or six songs here. I I got with some other producer and wrote some more. And um, it's going to be, it should be may maybe a 10 track album. And 
It's called Joyful Loser. It'll come out in September. It's just really a story of the beautiful process of loss. We don't always think of loss as a beautiful process, but in the big scheme of things, it is. It's pretty obvious that it's a good thing to lose anxiety and gain peace, uh, to lose, you know, confusion and gain purpose. So we'll touch on that. But also just there's also painful things that we lose, but it's beautiful because of what we gain in heaven. And uh, man, drifting was a learning process, uh, learning process. Um, it was a selfish album. And what I don't mean that like really bad. I just mean it's something that I wanted to do. And it's something that I almost had to put out in order to move on. I always wanted to do a really deep right, right. conceptual album. But unfortunately, like it didn't land with my audience as much as I wanted it to. It is a little frustrating when like your album from almost four years ago is continually streamed more a month. Like I'm talking grossly more a month than your latest album that you've spent <laughs> thousands of dollars marketing. And so I learned from that. And I was like, you know what? Like, I have the pri- like I have the advantage of actually interacting with the people who listen to my music because I'm seeing them on the road, and I'm seeing their age group, and most of them aren't the, like the ones that probably dig the super deep conceptual albums that you have to listen to the whole thing to really grasp it. And so, Joyful Loser is going to be back in the vein of be different, of just speaking like plainly and directly towards some of the stuff that I know people are dealing with, and. Yeah, so I'm excited about it. And then um, other than that, I'm going to take Chris A on his first tour so he could learn the expectations versus reality. And uh, we're going to do like a small, <laughs> like uh, maybe eight to 10 city run of a die daily tour and just really champion discipleship and dying to self, living for Jesus, serving other people. Most places will be as Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas. We may have a date in Kentucky and some other like Colorado's a little bit random offshoots, but for the most part, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas. And, um, and then there we go. The end of the year will be here. It's crazy how fast this year has gone. Yeah, man, we're halfway through it. And now, especially since I have a one and a half year old, things are moving even quicker. Oh um, man, it's crazy. Had, have, have you announced that album title anywhere else? Have you said it on social um, media? I did, man. I might have. I, I just, I've had it for like two months, and I finally couldn't wait. And I just, I, I just put out a post, um, probably like a week or so ago, and it got like a, a pretty good, um, response. Okay, so final question for you: What would you say is the key for the survival of the artist in 2018? In order to survive, you got to die daily. I know it sounds like a shameless plug and a cliche, <laughs> but it really is true. You're going to have to put to death the things that are hindering you making it as an artist. Maybe it's uncontrolled like spending and stewardship. Maybe it's um, arrogance. There's guys like Justin. There are guys like Doc Watson. There's guys like Derek Miner who are willing to like give out so much like good tips and skills, but you have to be humble enough to receive it and to learn it and run with it. And then man, you have to grind and do what no one else is doing. So you can do what no one else is doing. Like (laughs) if there's not a lot of people making it as an indie, indie artist, then do what no one else is doing. So you can 
do what no one else is doing. You can make it as an indie artist. And so that means finding your niche. Um, that means finding your what makes your gift unique in a way to capitalize on that. And uh, yeah, man, like, you know, no gig is too small. No, you know, don't don't despise small and humble beginnings. Be faithful with little and God will entrust more to you, man. It really is like the God factor, you know, and um, that's really how I got here was just being faithful in small little things and God weaning me away from my bitterness and my envy and my jealousy and slowly creating a path for me to, to work in because we're a body. We got to work together. If everyone's doing what artists A is doing, then who's meeting the needs of this people? You know what I mean? Like who's going to the small rural communities? Who's going to the inner city? So man, just find what no one else is doing and kill it. I'm going to say yes and agree with everything you said, except I'm going to put me third on the list of the three people that you said. I'll go behind Doc and Derek. Okay. <laughs> um, de- de- definitely not first, but you can listen to them. And, and if and for whatever reason, God knows what reason that you don't want to listen to Doc and Derek, I will be more than happy for you to listen to any of the weird stuff that I tweet. Um, <laughs> but with that being said, Dylan Chase, you have been on episode 8 of Survival of the Artist. He dropped a bunch of, as I like to say, knowledge bombs. Um, You kept it real, which is always exactly what I'm looking for in a conversation. Um, And I like one of the things that you you said, you said it a lot um, about yourself, that you learned a lesson or something that you learned. And I think a lot of artists sometimes aren't teachable or you know they don't want to admit that there's still things that they need to learn but even somebody like yourself who's been doing this for 10 years or somebody like how we mentioned before KJ who I've interviewed a bunch of times been doing this for 25 years he still has stuff to learn and stuff that he incorporates and tries to figure out daily Um, so yeah so thank you so much for joining us on the podcast man um, I was really looking forward to this one, especially, uh, I, I think you, you are the first, well, no, you're the second one after KJ who really just like supports their entire family on music and has like a, an incredible story to go with it. Man, it felt um, kind of so weird. Thanks, like, for your t- thanks for your time. Let's be honest. I kind of slid in your DMs. Um, but man, I, was, I didn't want to come off you know too strong. But I was like, I was just checking them out and saw what you're doing. I was like, man, I think it would be like perfect place for me to go and share some of this stuff. So it I just was. thank you for like you know being willing. No, but that's the thing that makes me feel good. If people are sliding into my DMs to want to be on my podcast, yeah. then that means I, I think I'm doing something right. If I'm not, if I didn't have to come and beg you to be on it, um, I feel like I did. I'm doing an okay job. Anyway, thank you so much. You can get out of your, your hot shed now. Bro, or at I least had to turn the AC like on. 20 pounds sweating in here. It's funny. It's like, it's good. I'm helping you out. You, you can get into, you get into good show shape. There we you go. Sw- you're sweating off those pounds. <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk to you later. All right, man. Peace.